Good evening, Blue Jays fans. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I am Brian Tott, known as Crate Notter on WhiteBlueReview.com. And really wanted to thank you guys ahead of time for joining us tonight. I know it's been uh, a couple weeks since the last podcast, but man, we have a uh, we have a doozy of one tonight. I'm going to be joined by my uh, compadres from WhiteBlueReview.com, Joey Tempo and Matt DeMarinas. They're busy right now, muted. Uh, I told them to be quiet because they're watching uh, the U.S. soccer match while we also broadcast this, and there's going to be lots of oohs and ahs and yelps and screams and whatever there's going to be. But um, we'll try to get through this tonight with minimal uh, distractions from our from our men in the red, white, and blue. Joey, Matt, thanks for joining tonight. Really appreciate you taking the time. As I said, and I want to also thank uh, Lawler's for, for well, there you go, <laughs> some sound effects. Uh, I want to thank Lawler's custom. Make a sound. I let that one go. <laughs> that was a, that was a good minute. That was a good three minutes of soccer right there. Okay, I didn't even react. I just held held it together. I was like, I'll wait for Joey to catch up. So I appreciate it. I do. The, the question is, would Creighton fans download a podcast of Joey making sounds while he watches the soccer team play and they have to like at the end it's like it's almost like the serial podcast like you could almost try to figure out if the team that Joey was watching won or lost based on the sounds this might be something we could do we'll just do one of like him watching an Elmar Bolovich team (laughs) Uh, that's a terrible idea okay so Lots going on. Just jumping right into it. Want to thank Lawler's Custom Sportswear for the sponsorship, because we're gonna we're gonna max out our time tonight. Uh, we have an hour long interview with Jahan's Managa, former Creighton Blue Jay, the Canadian Red Bull, current professional hooper abroad. It's back in Omaha uh, for some time this summer. Uh, Matt, you were able to connect with him, so we'll talk about that interview a little bit later. We'll we'll load that up because it sounds like uh, Jahan's talked about quite a bit of old Creighton lore, especially from that 2013-2014 season that a lot of folks are going to find interesting. So um, just a, a, a really fun interview. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, people like players telling stories about teams that, you know, are obviously really popular in that 13-14 squad is certainly in that category. They're really going to like that interview. I mean, there's really no holding back. He pretty much tells – I mean, there's there's some things that he said that I didn't even um, – and I covered that team. So, I mean, that lets you know how interesting it, it was from my perspective. And I imagine everybody else, they're going to get a lot of it. So we'll, we'll go through that. But, uh, you know, the last podcast we did um, – it was fresh off Coach McDermott turning down Ohio State, and that job subsequently going to Chris Holtman, uh, his Butler counterpart, who's now the head coach at the Ohio State. We kept our head coach in the mix, and then the next couple weeks after that, it was just a floodgate of positive news, Joey, in the recruiting front. So first, let's talk about and go a little bit in-depth on the three newest Blue Jays, one of which is apparently here playing right now. Two other guys on the way. Let's start with the first domino to fall. Um, Christian Bishop, a player that I know you've had your eyes on for quite some time out of Kansas City area. 
he commits to the Blue Jays. Uh, what can you tell our listeners about Christian Bishop and how he fits into the future of the Creighton basketball program? Yeah, so Christian's been a guy that I think the coaching staff's been on for about a year now. Uh, kind of one of those, kind of what, what we continue to hear about Creighton recruiting, uh, kind of a late bloomer the last year or so, uh, grown, uh, you know, four to five inches in high school, kind of changed the way he plays and the position he plays. Um, but he's kind of a versatile player. Um, definitely one of the guys that's best basketball is ahead of him. I don't think he knows how good he is at this point. Um, and then just a solid kid, good family, um, somebody who will fit into the culture that Creighton has built uh, this far. Um, but as for on the basketball court, um, uh, from, you know, people that I've talked to or people that have seen him play and videos I've watched, it's definitely a, uh, he's definitely a, um, uh, stretch forward. Uh, you could maybe call him a stretch four player, but he's about six foot seven, uh, pretty good stroke athletic, uh, can guard multiple positions. And I think that Creighton really liked his versatility, uh, and his ability to shoot and do a couple different things on the court. So. I know he came up for the team camp or the, the College World Series camp when they had a number of prospects in and, and impressed during that showing. And I think that just solidified to Creighton uh, that they were willing to, uh, you know, to, to, to um, they've extended an offer in the past, but to, to sign him up. And I think Bishop was uh, uh, pretty happy to, to sign on the dotted line, if, uh, if you will, and, uh, and become a Blue Jay. Proverbial dotted line as he can't sign. Yeah, yet, obviously, but... obviously not signed, but I mean <laughs> – that, that, that's the thing. I mean, they're going into the – obviously today marked the beginning of the AAU season, and the two of the three guys we're going to talk about are going to be uh, right in the mix. You know, they're going to be playing in a lot of these games, and they're going to have a lot of college coaches. So that speaks volumes to the staff that they've identified talent they feel will continue to improve and um, could continue to get offers if they continue to play without verbally committing. And, um, uh, you know, th- that's something that's nice to wrap up these guys right now just jumping ahead a little bit, it really gives Creighton an advantage in, in scouting and, and prioritizing players in the future or at other positions uh, because they've already got, you know, studs locked up to where they don't have to do a lot of work at the forward positions. They can really uh, hone in on some of their guard targets. And that really, that will, that'll pay dividends because other coaches don't have that luxury to devote uh, to one or two players like Creighton will going forward. Sure. And we're going to skip over the next domino because uh, I want to keep it in line with the class of 2018 forwards that you're talking about. Um, we're looking at Ian Steer, uh kid out of North Carolina, and this is kind of one of those interesting pickups. I mean, they all have their backstory, right? But I think the minute that the, the commit came in from this kid and the videos started going back and forth on the Blue Jay Cafe – uh blue jay underground message board and um twitter and everything i mean people just kind of did a double take i think like this kid's gonna come play for us and this kid looks like he could go play bang down low in the big east now uh one of those kind of ready to plug and play type of bodies for what it you know a to be senior in high school so let's talk a little bit about ian steer and um a kid that immediately uh based on all of the rankings and the stars and all that stuff comes in with uh, some big-time accolades uh, even before this really important AAU season starts. Yeah, he's a guy that Creighton kind of went and took a look at, um, I think, during the winter. And 
right away, I think it might have been Coach Preston Murphy that went down and saw him in North Carolina over the winter during the season. And, and right away, Creighton, I think probably, I think what I heard offered him on the spot. Uh, he didn't have a lot of high major interests or offers at that point. Um, but once, once Creighton uh, saw him play, uh, they offered immediately. And then uh, following Creighton's offer, you know, then other big time schools started to get involved. Uh, and we've, we've read that story before as Creighton fans, you know, Creighton goes out and maybe is one of the better offers the kid has initially. And then other, other schools or other coaches start to get involved. And then um, Creighton kind of goes by the wayside. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, they got steer on campus. Uh, yeah. What's that? Yeah. They, they, they got him on campus and, uh, uh, and again, sold their vision for what they want him to do. And, and it, it cannot be understated how important it was for McDermott to stay around Omaha. And I think below the surface here, I mean, as Creighton fans, everything's gone really well this summer uh, for recruiting and coaching, but, I mean, Creighton's pretty was pretty close to not having a head coach, and then possibly not even having some of their assistant coaches. You know, they lost Coach Lutz. Um, coach Mack was getting obviously interest from uh, Ohio State, and so you know they could have lost Coach Coach Mack. And it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that a guy like Preston Murphy, who's had interest from Michigan over the summer, um, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have looked at that offer hard and long had McDermott been gone. So. You know, we go from a spot of losing possibly an assistant coach in Lutz to Purdue, possibly an assistant coach to Michigan, and then your head coach to Ohio State and just having the Big Ten plunder our program to <laughs> now Now we have uh, a head coach who's turned down that program, you know, assistant coaches who have come in and continue to solidify their backyards for recruiting, and then two four-star players that are on the uptick, according to all the analysts. So it's really crazy how close or how narrow of a margin those two scenarios are. Um, but, but, you know, having a guy uh, like Max stay around and then, and then, and then just really, it, it proves to a guy like Steer that you can come to Creighton. This is a, this is a big time program. You don't have to go to Ohio state to be a big time coach or a big time player. You can come here and, you know, make a name for yourself. And that's, that's spokes volumes. That's easy to sell once you're, once you're putting your money where your mouth is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think too, you talked about stuff that could have gone, uh, the other direction in this summer for the men's basketball program. I mean, it started off with Tugs Bowen not choosing Creighton after that kind of uh, slow dance took forever to unwind. And then even guys on the peripheral like Tremont Waters and, and some of those other folks that we heard about, you know, picking up other schools and, and going that direction. I mean, you can see, I guess I, I could see where this recruiting bug just bites people, right? Because for every downslope in the uh in the roller coaster there's 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 another twist there's another turn and it really right now is shaping up like a really productive summer for the blue jays especially with the commitments that they've had and and a guy you know a third coming in that's a transfer from new mexico a guy by the name of damian jefferson who you know matt you've been able to see him practice right so he's a kid that comes in transfers from new mexico He's a 2016. He's going to sit, I think, sit this season and have a couple, what, two, three years three. left to go, Matt? Three years. Three. Yeah, he'll have three years left. Okay. So you've been down there. This is a good segue to to maybe remark about what, what Damien brings to the program, um, kind of the next in line of these guys that transfer in, sit a year, 
um, push their teammates in practice while also learning the system and, and taking some time to get stronger in the uh, championship center. But what's it look like for him right now just in the couple times that you've been able to see him get out there and go? Yeah, man, it's going to be interesting to see what he can, uh, you know, provide to this core group because he's obviously jumping into the summer a little bit late. Um, I think they only have three weeks maybe this week now to, you know, to get a couple practices in and then head for, you know, head home before they come back in the fall. Um, we say that like it's a long time away, but uh, – <laughs> You know he's it's he's an interesting he's an interesting kid because he's six foot five but he's a little lean so I mean he's kind of a skinny six five right now he's essentially just oh man he's essentially just uh, Kyrie Thomas's shadow right now hmm. um, which is that I think I got to be a shadow for yeah I'd do that yeah right I mean. <laughs> Honestly, we can make this whole podcast about Kyrie Thomas this summer. Honestly, because he's just—he's a—he's in a different—he's in a different role right now as far as leadership goes, and it's kind of been interesting to see him embrace all of that and be vocal, be demonstrative, be unlike he's been for two years essentially. You know, personality-wise. You know, um, the over/under on. Uh... You know, the, oh, Joey! <laughs> <laughs> Soccer sound. That's why I laughed by Joey Tempo. Let's, let's just um, yeah, let's keep going. You know, we had that over under on how long the Tugs Bowen thread would get on the underground. We might start to have an over under on how quickly in the podcast Matt and or I are going to talk about Kyrie because I have yes. a feeling this is just I'm, it's going to happen soon. Every episode. Uh, well, speaking of you know, speaking of the Tugs Bowen thing, I've been <laughs> I I got a kick out of is like. You know his his like you like you mentioned his recruiting thread got to 108 pages of just absolute obsession and desperation um, from Blue Jay faithful and uh, you know then you look at the three guys they just nabbed in the span of what couple weeks yeah three weeks three yeah. weeks I mean Damian Damian Jefferson I don't think had a recruiting thread um, and Ian <laughs> Steer up. was what like yeah Ian Steer was page two when he committed and. Uh, Christian Bishop was like page three, and it's like, like it was just just so funny to see how much time was invested in just like, you know, all the B A J stuff, and it's like really it just came down to like again, the kid made his own decision, and guys you that really weren't getting nearly like one percent of the attention that Tugs got are Blue Jays, and he's not. So it's like that's my whole thing with recruiting is like you guys. I mean, it's just like there's so little effect on that. Yeah, there's I know. A, it's, it's very rare that guys are like – guys mention the – you know, like Maurice Watson is one I could think of where he mentioned that the fan base was one of the things that definitely drew him, um, especially the outreach on social media and things like that. But uh, it's not that you shouldn't encourage guys to be Creighton Blue Jays. It's just the obsessive part about it, like the, the getting upset over it type of deal. Um I mean, I was, I was as that... bummed as the next person that we didn't get a McDonald's All-American to come here after that said mm-hmm. McDonald's All-American expressed interest in coming to our school. But at the same time, as equally excited that these kids now are in the mix because all of them are unproven in college. And now we just know that next line of, of guys that's going to come through and that I'm going to get to go watch develop or at least hope watch develop and they stick around and – 
for every kid that stays four years, there's a kid like Kobe Paris that comes in as like a big flash of light. And then it just doesn't work mm-hmm. out for whatever reason. They go someplace else. It's just, I look, Joey, I know you really like talking about the puzzle, right? And sitting there and just racking yeah. your brain about what those combinations are going to be. It's just another summer where a couple of weeks come, come by and you've got more pieces in the puzzle and they shift other ones around. And if we think we have our little puzzles drawn out and jotted down on napkins, I'm sure the coaching staff has crazy whiteboards full of magnets and all that stuff, right, that just stretches out in into kind of crazy land. So. Well, the, progr- uh, the progression as much, work as, as much work as they've done, as much work as they've done, you know, in the past couple of weeks, um, don't forget, they also still have one more opening left for 2017. So they what, a that with, what a great segue. What a great segue. It's better than saying segue. You kind of just like throw the topic into the, into the ether and see how it plays. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they've got another spot to fill for 2017. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who that next, you know, that next surprise two, two page thread commit is going to be <laughs> um, if they do decide to fill the roster out. Cause like I said, um, something that's necessary anymore. Lots of teams go into seasons with multiple openings, even high major like Duke and Kansas type teams do it. So it's not necessarily something where um, you have to fill that allotment just to have a full roster. It's, you know, I'm sure it's good for from practice perspective, and having healthy bodies, but you know, you also don't want to give, you know, commit four years to a guy who you know is probably going to transfer after one, and you know, start to have that type of culture set around your program. But there is an opening for 2017, and I'm sure Joey's, um, you know, been been turning over every rock to find out who is possibly going to fill that. Yeah, yeah, I, Joey, what are we yeah, looking at here? So I really have, and you know, I, I was <laughs> I was on this podcast a couple of months ago. We're talking a lot about the kids. Uh, that ended up transferring from UMass. You know, I, I knew Creighton would be interested in them if they would have left. And to be honest, I, I think Creighton still held interest in them up until maybe the last couple of weeks. But um, I'm pretty certain now with the scholarship situation being what it is, them, them only having one ride and that those th- that pair being uh, a package deal, uh, that Creighton's probably not a destination for them anymore. And I started looking at why Creighton wouldn't want to take those players. Um, at the time when maybe Creighton made the decision not to go with them, uh, they didn't have Ian Steer, a power forward for the future at the time. Uh, you know, they still don't have really a point guard uh, following Davion Mintz. So, you know, that's still kind of a, an up in the air question. I thought, well, why would Creighton not want to take, you know, s- such really p- high potential players? Uh, and the only thing I kept coming back to was, well, they ended up taking Damian Jefferson, you know, a, a transfer from Huss's New Mexico. Um, over maybe that pair because uh, I don't know if uh, what what the template for McDermott wants to do uh, that those two guys fit. Uh, yeah, sure. Gresham is a powerful rebounding edged big man, power forward, but he can't shoot worth a lick. And Giroux, right. you know, maybe not much so either. Uh, and he's a point guard at six five, but you know he's not necessarily uh, the greatest shooter either. Turns it over an awful lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if he defends all that well. So I looked at, well, why would they take a guy like Jefferson over these two? And I thought, well, Jefferson might be the Kyrie Thomas kind of mold. You know, that's kind of going to be his, well, you know what I'm talking about. Come in and be be a defensive, be a defensive (laughs) guy. I around these podcast parts. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I don't mean I don't mean with the upside maybe that Kyrie has, but you know he's a guy that will do the little things to make your team win. And I'm just not sure that uh, Gresham or Giroux fit in a mold that Creighton's had before, and I, I think that worried the staff a little bit, and where maybe it, it'd be worth it uh, looking at other players. So um, I think at this point, uh, Creighton's definitely not a, a destination for those two. Uh, which which will which will be something to follow in the future because those guys got lots of years of college to play and um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they fare out wherever they end up because um, from everything I had, I had heard that Creighton was where they wanted to or would have wanted to come if they could have chosen between the schools they were looking at so um, it almost it almost seems more like a Creighton decision than a their decision and that's that's interesting to me you know. So. It happens like that, though. I mean, I mean, it comes down to like you. You think like, like you think that people just make these that Creighton just throws out all these offers and then lets the kids sort them out. Like, you know, there's a lot that goes into it as far as how the coaching staff prioritizes that thing too. I mean, you don't know, like, say a Justin Patton type, like how close Creighton was to offering someone else in that position, considering how much of a project Patton was and things like that, and. Um, you know, for some of the very same reasons you just discussed there, how do they fit into the, the system and things like that? You know, who knows what what Justin Patton turns into if they decide to offer some stretch four shooter. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, and and it, that's funny that you mentioned that because Justin Patton goes against that logic. You know, he was a guy that didn't really play the way that Creighton has ever had a player before. They had their top target at the time, Alex Lacanen, who's not at Wisconsin. He's a stretch right. four, six foot nine forward, could shoot it in high school, you know, kind of a, a, a prototype Creighton guy, a Doug McDermott type guy, uh, you know, you know, coming out of high school, who was maybe more, you know, had more accolades than any Creighton recruit before. Oh Jesus. <laughs> wait, we, wait, we recruited Jesus. I knew it was coming. I was like, I can't wait for him to see it in the middle of his <laughs> Oh my God! I was like, I'm gonna give him the answer. I'm gonna give him the floor, okay. and then I'm gonna wait so, so, thirty so seconds. They they brought both of those guys. They brought both of those guys, Patton and Ellicanen, to team camp, and Patton out just just played Ellicanen off the floor, despite having no star rating or any kind of hype at all. And so mm-hmm. they jumped on Patton, of course, and uh, the rest is history. But uh, but I mean, like the rest isn't just history. The rest is like, what kind of a difference is that? Like. Just think about it from a coaching perspective, you know, just try to put yourself in of, you know, the people recruiting in Greg McDermott. What if you what let's just go back in time and say they don't decide to offer Justin Patton. And they do have offer Ellen Canaan instead, and he commits and where Patton goes and things like that. I mean, think it's easy to do it now because we know what Patton turned into, but think about all that's undone. You know what I mean? Like the 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 redshirt year the development the the Omaha boys playing together with him and Kyrie um the 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 draft lottery oh my god um the draft lottery and all that things like I mean that that took the city by storm as Alex Lokanen would have would have had to turn into Doug McDermott to do that you know what I mean so it's kind of crazy how how like how how fragile this whole world is for for coaches and things like that. It is, Joe. and, and speak, speaking of more 2017, it was just recently reported by John Rossi that Creighton's <clears throat> looking at grad transfer uh, Teddy Hawkins, Illinois State's uh, – there you go, Illinois State's <laughs> Teddy Hawkins. A guy, a guy who, if you follow Creighton recruiting, you'll remember Teddy Hawkins. He was Andre Yates' big buddy, 
uh, coming out of high school, went to prep school. Creighton was on him. You know, I uh, was really deep into recruiting at that time, too. And I remember how bad the coaching staff wanted Teddy Hawkins. He was a guy that when he came to campus, they put Doug on his hip and they showed him, you know, everything they could to get Teddy Hawkins to come to, to come to Creighton. He had issues, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, he ended up going to Illinois state maybe because Creighton somewhat cooled on him a little bit, but he had a, he's had a great career at Illinois state. However, he's been involved in a lot of, he's had, he has had his legal issues. And uh, I've asked a number of people since it was reported that Creighton's looking at him heavily. Uh, how would you feel taking on a player for one year who could maybe take Creighton to another level? Because Teddy Hawkins is that kind of player. He might come in and start for Creighton, uh, you know, and push them to another echelon because he's that skilled. Uh, you know, is it worth the risk of having a, maybe a more negative, you know, personality in the clubhouse? And most people I talk with say it wouldn't be worth it. And so, you know, uh, the latest the latest I've heard on that is that, you know, Creighton's looking at him still, but, you know, I don't know if they're ready to pull the trigger on him at this point. And I would think that he's getting down to the, you know, nitty-gritty that he's got to make a decision too. So at this point, I don't see Creighton as a, a landing spot for him either. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with Creighton's, um, you know, Creighton's opinion of him versus their his opinion of Creighton. So. Uh, and then, I, you know, then you keep scouring around. Well, you know, McDermott was on the podcast for, uh, was it Niatawa with, uh, uh, what's his name? Bottom line podcast saying that they're not done for 2017 and there's not much yeah. out there. And so I really, I really wonder, and I've looked and asked many of the insiders I talked to or staff and they won't give me a definitive answer of even what they're looking for. And, you know, whatever's out there is, is not uh, something I think would be all too uh, impactful at this point. So, I'm wondering if they're going to hold on to the scholarship and see what see what comes a uh, a float in the mid year transfer market and see if they can uh, pick up somebody in that regard because team shaping up the way it is they're looking pretty set they they need a point guard uh, or another kind of lead guard uh, but with Jefferson coming into the fray next year Bishop and Steer coming in and then one more year of Thomas Ballack Alexander all those guys Creighton's Creighton's got a pretty formidable lineup for the next couple of years so. They, they can they can they can afford to be selective with this pick they don't or this scholarship they don't need to jump on a warm body um, exactly which is, which is good and it's going to be about and if they do it's going to be about the fit they're going to make sure I, I I understand what you're saying about Hawkins but I don't think that's I don't think with the way the roster is constructed right now they need to take risks like that um, exactly considering what they have coming in for 2018 because you don't really want to if you know that this guy has issues and that you're worried about what he potentially might do, do you, why would you mortgage one season of that to ruin, you know, or to spoil a little bit of the culture you have for the guys coming into 2018? And, you know, how does that affect things? You know, if things might, if, if, if incidents happen and things get ugly, you know, you don't want to deal with that. So with the way the class is filled out with only run roster spot being open and with all the work they've already done for 2018 kind of, yeah, but they're, they're essentially being almost done. They're they're built to win now. They, I mean, they have Marcus Foster as a senior next year. Yeah, he came back for a reason. You know, I, I think you gotta really look at if we if we can make this team that much better yeah. next year. You gotta look at that. And 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 there's no doubt in my mind that Hawkins makes this team better. Now, whose minutes does he take? That's the question. He's not a he's not a center. 
he would take minutes from Toby or Ronnie, guys who have put their real their heart into the program. They've been here for years. So do you just pick up some guy off the waiver wire to come in and supplant those guys? That's that's difficult as well, you know. And so and then he's got maybe a checkered past. I just that when you weigh all those things together, I just don't know. You're right if it's if it's absolutely worth it. You oh, know what geez. I would like to do though. I would like What's to that? see the Creighton Blue Jays play in the Sweet 16, or I, I, maybe I go the Teddy Hawkins. I think Teddy Hawkins <laughs> makes their chances of getting to the Sweet 16 much better than oh, yeah. a team without Teddy Hawkins. And I don't know. Basketball wise, and I don't, just, <laughs> right? And I just don't know enjoy the one year. Just enjoy the one more year you have left of Kyrie Thomas, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> You just you sit you sat there watching Justin in the green room on draft night. You just you were licking your chops, hoping that Kyrie gets there, weren't you? I was. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I don't know about lottery, but I'm pretty sure he will get there. Um, Evan Sumner. I mean, like guys like the NBA draft is so different now. I remember when like there used to be like ten guys. I know in the green room, and now like everybody. Like now, every play like Evan Sumner walked up on stage at pick fifty two, and it's like, where did he come from? In like a cask. Or something like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" What I didn't know. Like, it's just crazy. I mean, like, there's NFL draft picks that like come out in the fifth round, <laughs> like walk up on stage and shake someone's hand. It's like, what are you doing in the fifth round? That's because they like, flying out to them, Philly. They let, they let them like announce a team's pick or something because like it was like their favorite team growing up or something. I don't know. How's yeah. Justin doing? Have you talked to him? Did he let Kyrie announce his own pick next year? Okay, there you go. He does everything else. Lock it down. Right. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Justin a little bit before we get into Matt's practice report. Um, Joey, really appreciate the recruiting. If we hear you keel over at any part, uh, you know, here, just that's fine. I'm soccer is text, your first love, I know. Text uh, my wife if I start. Okay. Like, <laughs> uh, All right, guys, I'm on peace. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate joining yep. in. Joey Tempo. Have a good one. Recruiting extraordinaire. Uh, following the Blue Jays really closely. Matt, have you talked to anybody? Yep. How's Justin doing? How's Justin feeling? We know that that's quite the high to then go to a little bit of a low there to be drafted in the first round to be traded from the Chicago Bulls to... No, 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 no. Don't, let's not, don't say their name. Don't I'm, say just, their name. I'm just giving you a hard time. He lands <laughs> with the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that is yeah. uh, actively retooling their roster to be... Co- be quite formidable i mean it's the western conference so they'll probably uh still struggle to finish in the top half of that league for sure but if they were in the eastern conference it'd be a whole different thing right so that roster's taken on a different look it looked like justin um would be a part of that or at least uh have a shot but then what practicing uh was it even practice or was a workout versus actually I'm pretty sure the injury occurred during the workouts pre-draft. Um, okay. So, I mean, I, I don't think it was uncommon knowledge among okay. um, people that were essentially thinking about selecting him. Um, the, I just don't think it. They, I just don't think evaluating it. They thought it was that serious of an issue type of deal. Sure. Um, that's me guessing. Um, yeah, I think it's a good – I honestly love the spot for him. I don't know. I don't think we've actually talked about his draft night on this no, podcast. No, we haven't. Floor. Right. Oh, that's not good. Um, so, yeah, I think <laughs> – Good thing Joey. Good up. thing Joey's not. Um, so, for him, I like the, the team they're building. I like especially getting Jimmy Butler for almost nothing. Um, 
And I think I like where he fits in as far as the athleticism they're trying to put together on that on that team. And I think it suits his game what they're what they maybe are trying to do. I think it's a little it, I'm I'm curious to see if Coach Tibbs goes there because he's not that type of a that's not his usual type of system, but mm-hmm. I'm sure he understands that in order to compete with the Golden States of the world, that you're going to have to do something a little different offensively, especially taking advantage of the transition game because that's really where a transition defense is kind of where you where you should attack Golden State, I think, because they're I think statistically their defense gets better later in the shot clock, so early is where you get them. And Justin fits. I mean, Justin is a transition nightmare. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense for him, for them to get him. I don't think this year injury or otherwise, I don't think this year was going to be something packed, especially early. That's just not the way things are going now in the NBA. You don't see many impact rookies, especially in the middle rounds. Sure. Um, getting a lot, getting a lot of playing time, and especially Tibbs. Tibbs is almost exclusively, um, trusting veterans. I mean, even Jimmy Butler, who is arguably a top 10 player in the league now, sat out his entire rookie season and wouldn't even have played in the playoffs if not for Luol Deng having um, some complications from a spinal tap and not being able to play in the postseason and then Jimmy Butler kind of coming on from there. So that was kind of a situation where he was forced to play because otherwise he would have sat out his whole season, playoffs included. So, I mean, really, that's just kind of the way it is now. Um, But I love the spot for him. I love the roster makeup. I love where he could possibly slot in. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that their Minnesota's G League team affiliate is in Des Moines. It is true. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, even if he goes down to the G League, that's, a, that's not a – But I know. had to look up. I had to look up what the G League is, man. Like, do they just pick other letters of the alphabet now? Because wasn't it always the D League? <laughs> Yeah, so now they have a Gatorade sponsor, so they just totally rebranded and called it the G League. Oh my God, is that really why? Gatorade? Yeah. It's called the G League because of Gatorade. That is amazing. Yep. What G League? So, I mean, mean, that shows you that the NBA is kind of trying to make that into something. Um, If you could pick one team for Kyrie to play for, who would it be? If I had to pick an NBA team? A G League team for him to start with. This is going to be my main puzzle. Come on. I don't even know. All right. What's Dallas's nickname? I feel like they have a cool nickname. Oh, they probably do. Roadrunners or something like that. Uh, maybe. Okay, I sorry. Was, Digress. No. So that's he's going to play in the G League eventually once he gets healthy. That's kind of where we think this is going to go. But overall, you like the pick. You like no. how this works for him. And everything is looking I, up for Justin once he works past this injury. Yeah. Yeah, and then and it's funny too because as soon as they announced his injury – that was like the bad news part of the day, and then the good news was that, they, that he signed his contract. So I mean, right. it's kind of like a bittersweet, bittersweet day of Justin Patton news. Really, it was the injury, then the contract. So it's like, well, and it's fun, and it's kind of funny because I don't think, and maybe I'm opening myself up to some criticism here, but I mean, I feel like anybody who was still on the fence about Justin leaving, and thought it was a bad idea, probably doesn't have much ground to or solid ground to stand on now considering that he got hurt right away and he's getting paid while he still got paid right yeah because that was the argument right oh if he sticks around and he gets hurt he's gonna be like he got hurt and he got paid millions of dollars like everything's gonna be okay for justin right now like we're gonna be they're like here's your x-rays and here's your x-rays and here's your contract right 
So we we talk we talk about Kyrie, uh, but I'm I want to know how Marcus Foster has looked. There was a nice little write up in the paper about him going toe to toe, sparring if you will verbally with Bud Crawford in the summer league. I know uh, that was uh, entertaining deal. But when we talk about guys that professional grade basketball players, uh, guys that are gonna you know lead the scoring column for the Blue Jays in the upcoming season, obviously. Mac and others around the program expecting big things again, big improvement from yeah. Kyrie Thomas. But give us a little status up to Marcus Foster comes back to school, comes back to Creighton, and uh, he's got a lot of stuff going on. But but what's it look like for Marcus right now out there? Well, the good thing with Marcus, he's he's been engaged in the summer workouts. Um, he's him. I think him and Kyrie are going to be the leaders of this team, the vocal leaders. Uh, Caleb Joseph is a vocal guy. But I don't really know what his role is going to be yet because he's still kind of battling with Davion and Tyler for that point guard spot. So we'll see what that how that shakes out as far as what he what role he can play. Um, Marcus and Kyrie though are the guys like it's pretty much follow their lead, their example, and things like that. They are usually on opposite sides of the various five on five drills they do just because they like to put those guys against each other for obvious reasons that, you know, they kind of bring out the best in each other both on, you know, basketball skill wise and they trash talk and, you know, it's pretty much a good show every time. Um, But yeah, that, I mean, that's, those are the guys that are kind of leading by example right now. Um, And I think that's going to be the case going into the season, certainly. So it's good to see both of them embrace that. I believe it's just, at this point in the summer, it's so easy for those guys to, you know, take the foot off the gas a little bit just because they've been going at it so long already. I mean, you think about when the season, first of all, the season went as it did and then it ended and then they kept working out. They kept going through it and, you know, organized workouts. They went home for maybe a couple of weeks, I think, mm-hmm. then came back for this eight week stretch where they're practicing twice a week. They've had all these camps. Um, I think they're on their second or third camp now, um, which is an all-day process. And then you throw in, you know, a week of summer league every night or every once one night a week. And it's just like at this point, I feel like there's just not much left in the tank. And you can totally understand it because, you know, they're 18 to 22-year-old, you know, human beings that they don't have – they don't have – they have a lot of energy, but they don't have infinite amounts of it. So – I think right now there's a certain there there's a certain sense like just get let's go home let's relax a little bit let's get ready for school, um, you know have somewhat of a summer before things go out but you know right now as far as the leadership things like the intangibles that you see from being vocal instructing guys getting guys on the right page holding people accountable I'm seeing that frequently out of Marcus and Kyrie especially Kyrie and I feel like that's that's a good thing to take away from the summer because that it's e- like I said, it's easy for guys to check out at this point when they're not playing for anything. They're just playing to kind of quote unquote get better. Um, and so, from Marcus and Kyrie's perspective, it's good to see them still in it mentally at least. What else has been going on down there? Uh, I know you've talked a little bit. On... Uh, they're finishing up. They're finishing up DJ Sokol Arena's little renovation, which is looking much bluer. Okay, so that's, that's good. gonna be. More blue. Yeah. So, right? So I think that's going to look pretty cool when they're finished with that, which it should be soon. I feel like they're going to be done before the season starts. Mm-hmm. Um, from a great men's basketball perspective, uh, a couple guys have been 
the big guy's been banged up. Manny Suarez is nursing a little bit of a calf injury, not a serious one, but one that's kept him out of practice this week. Um, and then same with Jacob Epperson. He's he was actually back at practice this last practice. He was a full participant, but those two guys are a little bit banged up. I'm not totally surprised that Epperson's banged up just because of how frail he is and you know all the strength he needs to add. So I figured it was going to get to him eventually. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles because this isn't really much of a grind. It's a uh, you know like it's two days a week and they only get an hour each time. They only get two hours each week, so that's not anything like what they're going to deal with during the season. So I'm kind of curious to see how both of those guys make it through. Sure, you know, having to practice four times a week or something like that, and then having a game and travel and school, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust. Hmm. Women's basketball finished up their summer workouts. Um, they had a little open house kind of for their fans at the at the championship center to kind of give them a look at, you know, the new recruits and things like that, and just to kind of watch a practice. Um, Flam was on his best behavior. There wasn't a lot of yelling or cursing, so it was uh, probably like a PG-rated practice. Hmm. But it was good for the fans. It was a good turnout. I think they filled maybe they practiced on that far court at the championship center, and, you know, both sidelines were filled with, um, fans just standing, sitting, watching, engaging, and things like that. But they're fin- they're finished with their season. I think the coaches are out recruiting now. Um, the whole coaching staff is so that's the way they finish their summer right now. And then pretty much just as soon as men's basketball is done, it's going to be pretty much like a three week. I mean, they'll probably jump right into you know all the fall sports. They'll start getting back to campus and getting into the gym and onto the pitch at Morrison Stadium to kind of get their seasons going. Doesn't feel like much of an offseason anymore, that's for sure. No, I mean, I think I was just seeing you tweet a couple days ago that you you had some downtime here, but that, you know, then Sarv follows your tweet back up with, you know, first event is August, what, August 6th for women's soccer, so coming right around the the bend. Uh, I know you've been checking out some of the Summer League stuff. Um... Guys like Mitchell Ballack uh, have caught people's attention. Tyshawn Alexander catching people's attention with their performances there. I know it's just the summer mm-hmm. league. Um, but kind of what have you seen from those guys in recent weeks when you've been uh, checking out those pretty meaningless but still entertaining games? Yeah. And, they, I mean, they are meaningless. They don't They don't count for anything. But, I mean, there's things you can take away. I say this all the time. I don't think summer league is a waste of time, but I, I don't think summer league is a waste of time. But at the same time, I don't think Creighton needs to play in it type of deal. So if that's, I know that sounds confusing, but it's just it's something that doesn't provide anything that you can take with you to the bank as soon as the season starts. But there are little things you can pick up on as far as differences in guys' games and things like that that have that I've noticed have translated over the years. Like when Maurice Watson stepped on the floor at summer league which was our first look at him, period. Mm-hmm. Automatically, I knew right away, okay, well, Creighton's got a point guard that can finish at the rim, make plays for others. He's quick as all get out. I mean, those are things you can say, okay, that's going to translate. You know, the it's the statistics that probably won't translate because of the way the games are played. It's 40 minutes of running clock. Um, 
there's like maybe one or two stoppages a game as far as timeouts go. And then there's a little halftime break. But other than that, it's, it's essentially, and you don't have much substitution. So it's essentially like a per 36, a per 48 type of deal statistically, which is why guys can put up some numbers. But I mean, sure. when you look at, I mean, I don't, Mitch hasn't shot the ball all that great this summer. I, I, I know from watching him in practice, he shoots it better than he shot in summer league. So that's something that I've been able to contrast by seeing him shoot in the, in the championship center. I know he's a better shooter than he has been in summer league. Um, with Tyson Alexander, he, he was playing with against Kyrie Thomas last week or last Thursday or last Monday. And, uh, you know, he had 25 points in the second half. He was kind of, those two were kind of going back and forth. So that was a fun little, you know, fun little hour to watch there just to see how competitive guys got. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Kyrie has been, you know, bringing his A game every night because the, I mean, the fact of the matter is the guy doesn't have, the guy's competitive drive does not have an off switch. I mean, if the, the basketball and a game, he's going to bring it. That's just the way he is. So sure. he's brought it in summer league. He's put up some ridiculous numbers. Um and yeah, he's, it just looks like he's taking another step offensively with his aggression, with his confidence, uh, with his willingness to look for his offense is what I'm going to take away from this summer and okay. see if that translates, because that's the thing that I feel like that's the thing that clicks off in my head that I feel like is the next step in his evolution, because obviously defensively he's as good as they come in the country, I feel. And offensively, I thought his game started to come on more as far as his scoring goes. I, you know, I, the turnovers were a little bit – he was a little erratic with the ball as far as his ball handling goes and things like that. But, you know, he's really good at driving to the rim and getting, getting you know, buckets that way, getting to the free throw line. He, he's a good spot-up shooter. Uh, something he's done a lot in summer league is he shot a lot of threes coming off of ball screens, hmm. which is – you know, obviously something that Creighton does a lot of. So that's something that could translate into his game and into the offense that they run. And so I'm kind of curious to see how much of his confidence from an offensive perspective carries over. Because if it does, now you're talking about one of the best, if not the best two-way player in the country, right? I mean, if he's averaging – if he's putting up 20 a game and averaging four assists with all he does defensively, Who's who's better on both ends of the floor than that? Well, and then you also you think know? about it, it's not like Marcus is going to take fewer shots this year, right? So then you got Marcus who's going to be hovering around that twenty points a game mark, and if Kyrie brings it up there, not not that you'd bat an eye if it was only quote unquote only fifteen or only thirteen or you know whatever, but he's more than capable, yeah. and you start to break down that offense and you know what he can do on both ends of the floor. I mean, it's just. That's a really great one-two punch right there, you know, and it makes Absolutely. those outside shooters and the spot-up guys uh, a little bit better. If Kyrie's getting to the rim even more, and if Marcus is going to the rim and not just settling for for threes and and trying to do a lot of that type of action that Maurice, albeit from a different position, was doing last year, because then that you know that opens up so many things for the other guys out there that aren't going to put the ball on the floor and. And try to attack the rim. So, I'm a, I'm really excited to see that. I mean, I think we know what Kyrie will bring on the other end of the floor, and only do more of that sort of havoc wreaking uh, defensive mix 
that he's shown improvement in the last couple of years. But offensively, if he can just take it up another level, I know that's asking a lot, but it sounds like he's laying the foundation in a lot of these workouts and summer league and just how he performed there toward the end of the season. Uh, certainly the second half of last season. Uh, yeah, just really excited for that. I just think with his attitude, with his approach, with his, with his competitive approach to things, it's almost it, it would almost be impossible for him not to get better. So, I mean, you're talking about what that – you're trying to figure out what that looks like when you say Kyrie Thomas is a better player in 2017-2018 than, when he, than he was in 2016-2017 when he probably deserved to be an all-conference Big East player and was the Big East Defensive Player of the Year along with a guy who's now playing for the Lakers – and his teammate, Mikael Bridges. So, I mean, when you say the 2017-2018 version is better than that, what does that mean, you know? So you're, it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, what that turns into. We'll be right there for it because I'll be sitting in my normal seat <laughs> watching this uh, watching this take on. Watching some right. Kyrie fence? Watching some Kyrie fence, baby. Hashtags all over the place. Uh, I want to be cognizant of our listeners' time because I – don't want to cheat them out of what surely is going to be a great experience for them here to end the show. Um, we got what an hour plus with Jahans Managa. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and set this up. I, I know that it's hard to set up an hour in a short amount of time, but um, let us know what our listeners are getting into here as they start to listen to one of their, uh, arguably one of the more popular Blue Jays over the course of the last 10 plus years. I think it's pretty hard to argue that. Um, the Canadian Red Bull always had people up and going. So set this up for us, Matt, before we, we push play on this bad boy. There have been a lot of like interviews we've obviously done on here, um, long-form exclusive interviews that I feel like you know they're interviews type of deal. You know, There's a back-and-forth question and answer um, other than maybe with John when it was more of a conversation. Though the thing with Kyrie, the thing with uh, Jahans is, I mean, he there's there's points in this, in this what you'll hear here in the next for the next hour where he flat out talks to Creighton fans like not even talking to me, so it just you can see the kind of energy he has he brings it, uh, like you would expect him to bring it, and uh, I think Creighton fans are really gonna like it just because of, like you said how popular he is, how good of a guy he is, um, how much he enjoyed his time at Creighton, how much it meant to him. And honestly, we cover pretty much everything about his career um, from the start of it to what it's like, what it's been like overseas with uh, obviously notable exception being, we don't, I don't mention San Antonio. So nobody um, ever should. So exactly. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I, I just, I, I give it. Jahens gives everybody, what they exactly what they want to hear, and there isn't any moment where you're like, "Oh, I don't want to hear about this." So, I mean, it, it, we talk Nebraska, we talk State, the rivalries, and things like that. And if you think that I haven't had anybody on, we haven't had anybody on this podcast that has been anything other than as politically correct as they probably want to be in regards to those rivalries, just because most of the people are still active in them. So you understand that. Jahens pretty much lays it out as it is. What 
playing Nebraska every year means, what being a blue state means to him, why he's constantly on Twitter um, barking every time Creighton beats Nebraska, what it's <laughs> why he doesn't like Wichita State, why he enjoys beating Wichita State. Um, so there's, there's a lot of fun there. And then there's some things about the 2013-2014 team that he goes into from just – and hearing it from his perspective, I feel like it's a new – I haven't – I hadn't heard it from that type of deal. Um, you know, the way he talks about the Villanova game and just being in that moment, he pretty – he essentially takes takes you into play-by-play of the way that Villanova game started and his emotions, his thoughts watching each Rocky bomb go in and kind of what he felt in real time. It almost felt like I was I was at the Wells Fargo Center with him. That's how good he that's how good he told that story. Um how well he told that story, excuse me. And uh and then there we talk about senior night and obviously what that meant to him, but also what it was like for um Doug McDermott to get 3000 in Omaha and there's an interesting he he has an interesting remark about how aware Doug was about where he where he fell as far as how close he was to 3,000 and how badly he wanted to do it in Omaha. Because it was never publicly acknowledged that he wanted 3,000 in Omaha. What they say, he wants to win. You know, he wants to, you know, be Providence squad on a, a high note in, in Omaha. He wants to, you know, worry about seeing things like that. There was never like that point where he flat out said, I wanted 3,000 in Omaha. And so you're going to want to hear Jahens's, um firsthand account of how aware Doug really was of chasing that mark and and why he performed the way he did on senior night. Because, I mean, other than Bradley, he didn't do – you know, he, he had his career on senior night. So, I mean, you're going to see how 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 much that switch flipped just because of what he was chasing and, and why he wanted to do it in Omaha in front of, you know, all the Creighton fans and things like that. So, like I said, if you – Love the 2013-2014 team, which I know a lot of people do. You're going to want to listen to this interview because it's uh, it's like it's never been told before. And it was really interesting to hear it from his perspective. And and we covered an hour, but honestly, I had to cut it short. That's how this, <laughs> that's how this interview was going. We could have gone for multiple hours. I'm telling you, it was that type of deal. So... Uh, you know, we've already made plans to get, to bring him back on the podcast. Like he's already wants to come back on because he knows there's more to tell. And you know, I'm kind of like putting into works to see if I can get him, Doug and Grant, all at the same time, and just have a bunch of like a kind of like a story time oh, man. of that team type of deal, which I think would be really cool. Just because of the way Jahen's told it, uh, it's really cool to see how vivid all those memories really are for him. Um, and how much playing in Omaha and playing for Coach Mack and playing for Creighton and playing in front of these fans meant to him. Um, I think it's probably one of the better interviews we've had on this podcast, if not the best. I think fans are going to love it. Just bottom line, they're going to love it. Well, we will let them. And it's, uh... it's going to feel like an, it's going to be an hour, but it's not going to feel like an hour. I swear. I like it. We're going to let them judge for themselves, and I know they all will. Um, we're going to end the podcast tonight. We'll do all of our you know, salutations now before we, we play this, and then that'll wrap that. So uh, big thanks to Lawler's Custom Sportswear for sponsoring the Blue Jays Thank Fights you, Lawlers. Podcast. Thank you, Lawlers. Um, Matt, as always, a huge thanks to you. Uh, grinding every day, day in, day out, down to all the practices, talking to these guys and gals. 
interviewing guys like Jahans and uh, lining up stuff with Mac and everybody else. You're just the bulldog. We uh, were uh, Creighton fans are extremely lucky to have you. It was nice to see somebody mm-hmm. on the on the underground today. Just you know, make that flat out comment that if anybody has any questions, just ask Dean Moranis because he knows more about Creighton sports and is more connected with what's going on there than anybody else in the media locally right now. So. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge, uh, I think that's a huge compliment to you. So, uh, we really appreciate you being on here. And then Joey, who's probably, I'm not following a soccer match right now. He's probably having a conniption fit either which way right now, but, um, uh, you know, they, they won, so he'll be good. Okay. Well, there you go. Now it's going to be a tradition. We're going to have to podcast every time they play and <laughs> exactly. we'll do world cup podcast <laughs> next were... year and all that stuff. Yeah. There were four. I think there were four goals. Maybe all five goals were scored. Yeah, five <laughs> goals while we did that podcast. There you go, man. We are the cure yeah, for. Crazy. We're the cure for that. So, and big thanks to all the Jays fans listening to this podcast. Really appreciate it. And um, we've got a big uh, social media campaign about ready to take off here pretty soon, where we're going to offer fans the ability to kind of put their money where their mouth is a little bit about Jay's uh, sports coverage. We've got an amazing document of last year's creating sports teams in their entirety um, that Matt, I know you've helped uh, Tom Nemitz out with, but uh, we're putting the finishing touches on that. And Jay's fans are going to be able to get their hands on that for a, for a donation to the white and blue review cause to make stuff like this podcast happen, to make stuff like our coverage. Like happen, a- so, it's about like a 95 to five help out on Tom on that one. That's okay. A... Well, then of the 168 <laughs> he's, he's pages that were done, you did like what? Six then is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we... he's the man. Like that is, that thing is looking beautiful because of yeah. that. that. I honestly could not have done that. So, yeah. so we've got that draft in the mix. So everybody that's listening to the podcast, make sure that when we, uh, that when we extend our offer, for you to be a little bit more involved with right and blue review that you guys take us up on that. And we would really appreciate it, but cause nobody else is doing hour long interviews with Jahan's man, right now and bringing you the, the coverage you're about to hear. So really appreciate you listening, Matt. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and cue this up. This is Jahan's man. speaking to Matt D Moranis on the blue Jays bites podcast. Have a good night. Jays fans go Jays. Sit here uh, with the Canadian slash Romanian slash German slash American Red Bull, Hens yeah. Managa, back um, in Omaha, um, getting some work in, some off season work in. Um, welcome back to Omaha, first of all. How's it feel to be back? Look, uh, the campus was a little different since you left, yeah. obviously, but how's it feel to be back? You know, in your old stomping grounds. Um, it feels pretty good. I mean, this is really my second home. Obviously, I came from Canada when I was 17, 18 years old, and this city really opened itself up to me. So uh, anytime in the summertime when I have a chance to come back, I mean, this is my second home. So it's easy to work out here. I still know all the coaches. Thank God Coach Mag didn't leave or anything like that, <laughs> right. right? But uh, no, it feels great to be back and just to be able to, you know, be around my friends and the people who I've gone to know over my four years here at school. So I'm curious, I, I was asking one of the um, members of the staff this a couple weeks ago, just because, you know, you see Jeff Grizzell, you, um, seen Devin around a couple times, Doug is obviously back, Will Artino, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, you guys come back often, and I'm, I was curious how normal that is for guys to come back to their old school 
work out in the offseason when they have other options to work out in different places. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, twofold, what brings you back here to work out? I mean, why do you feel comfortable that this is the place you can kind of spend the summer, you know, still playing basketball? And do you think that's normal? Do you feel like that, that this place is a little different? I mean, as far as guys wanting to come back? Uh, I'll answer the second one first. I, I don't know if it's normal for other schools. It, it feels normal for us. I mean, this is what we've known. Um, for the most part, the guys, or at least during my time, they hung around in the summertime. Uh, they went home maybe for a couple of weeks and they came right back and we were right back on that grind. So I feel like in this atmosphere, it is normal. Like, I mean, guys, as far as like Kenny Lawson, Justin Carter, those guys are even back in town. and. They pop their head in, they jump to workouts every once in a while, and that's just a culture I feel that we've had ever since Coach Matt came. Um, and my reason for coming back is, is just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like I said, Coach Mack, his staff, uh, all the guys are still here. Those are the guys that probably know me best outside of the teams in Europe that see me play. So if I can take any sort of like pointers or advice about my game and how I need to improve, it's probably from those guys. So. Uh, they've always been honest and upfront with me, you know, so that's something I really appreciate it. I appreciate it as a person and as an athlete too, obviously. Uh, they won't cut me some slack if they feel like, you know, that'll help my game. So uh, it's, it's just good to see those guys catch up, uh, take some pointers, you know, and then try to apply those things when I leave and go play overseas again. It's probably, it's probably funny for a guy like you because... I mean, you were part of that first team that went to the Big East, but I mean, we're sitting here in uh, Dan Bailey's office, yeah. which was not around when you were here. Yeah, the championship center wasn't gym, here. Baby. The whole gym is uh, <laughs> what do they turn into like a study hall now? Yeah. They torn that thing all up. Yeah. You know, this this whole facility. Like, I imagine that part of you when you come in here and get workouts in, when you're lifting weights or whether you're in the gym. Um, I mean, is it not to be hyperbolic, but I mean, it feels like this is. A professional facility doesn't yeah. it for a guy like you no for sure and it's like where else are you gonna find a place like this you know um, it's right in our backyard so I'm gonna take advantage of it in the summertime and you know we were at old gym when I was playing mm-hmm. and I used to tell the guys like you lo- you lose like 50% of your energy just walking up that <laughs> spiral <stairs>. staircase <laughs> Man, like then if you, you forget something, you have to go back down, go you, back yeah, up. Like, you would be full of energy, excited for a practice, and then as soon as you see those stairs, it's like <laughs> everything just gets drained out of you. So you walk into a facility like this, the upgrade is unreal. Like every day I'm in here, I'm astonished at the things that we can do, uh, the different ways that you know. You mentioned Coach Bailey; he's done a great job of incorporating, you know, the new technology and some of the things that the guys have at their disposal now that we didn't have at our time. I'm a little bit jealous of that, to be mm-hmm. honest. But it's great to come back and be able to use those things, to be able to use uh, the Kyle Clover courts. When I walk in, I see my big old head on Your the wall. Your face is on yeah. the wall, man. That <laughs> Stuff like that, man. Like, it, I don't have the words to describe like, how good it feels to go back. And like, like I said, this is my second home. Like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the summertime. If I had three months to spend to try and get better and at the same time be able to see my friends and you know, the people I've gone to know over my time at school, I mean, where else would I go? Obviously, it'd be in Omaha, so. Let's go back in time a little bit, talk about, you know, what the professional lifestyle is like for a guy like you mm-hmm. overseas. Um, out of college, went to Romania, right? And then yeah. you played in Germany last year. Is that how it Yeah. Went? Okay, so when, you're, when your season ends and you're trying to evaluate, uh, do I want to be a professional basketball player somewhere? 
or do I want to, you know, take my degree and get a job and do the nine to five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, when you're going through that process, what, how much of a priority is basketball versus other career options? And then like, how do you weigh the, you know, having to go overseas and play? And you know how how like how how fearful of you like you know it's a new area it's like almost like you're going to college all over again. Uh, how fearful? I'm I wasn't fearful at all if I remember, because I mean I I was a 17 year old from Canada when I moved to the states. I think that was the scariest move I could have done, just being that young and kind of throwing yourselves in the wolves like. I mean, I know when I talk to people back home, when they hear Nebraska, they're thinking straight up cornfields. They don't even know that Omaha is like a 900,000, almost a million people right. living in the city. So, like, making that move as a 17-year-old and not really knowing too much about Division One basketball at the time, like, I knew what I was watching from March Madness, but not knowing how, you know, the whole atmosphere, how the fans interact with you, all that stuff, that was probably the scariest move. So, like, when it was time to go overseas I already had four years experience of living away from home so and also for like a significant amount of time because you know it was tough for me to get back to Canada for like Christmas and stuff like that so I spent most of that time here so to go away now and do nine months at a time it's still really tough obviously but I feel like my experience here kind of prepared me for that so once it was time to go it's just like all right it's another season I'm going to get through and then in May end of April early May I'll be home again so that's the way I looked at it. What was the biggest adjustment for you? Um, first of all, going to Romania, I imagine there's yeah culture <laughs> shock, language barriers, things for like sure, that. For sure, the non-basketball related stuff. Yeah, for sure the language and you know I'm I'm a black guy. Like I'll just be straight up. I'm a black guy in a land where there aren't too many black people. <laughs> right. So that was just having everybody just look at me. And I don't think it was like racism at all. I think it was just curiosity, like what are you doing here? And then they realize that you're a basketball player and now they want to know all there, about Was their you. first thought yeah. probably basketball? They probably uh, saw the I mean, they see, and... usually you walk around in team gear. It's exactly. much like when you're here on campus. So you walk around with team gear, people are curious, they realize that you're playing for their team, so now they have a bunch of questions that they want to ask you, but they don't speak English. So right. uh, the language barrier was for sure uh, the number one thing I had to get adjusted to. And, you know, obviously the first couple of months you don't know anything and uh, you kind of learn from, you know, going grocery shopping, you say your please, thank yous, how much, and you start to learn little by little. By the end of the time that I was in Romania, I had like two or three pretty good sentences put oh, together, yeah? yeah, that I was able to communicate with people, just so I know like, hey, I'm here to play basketball. Uh, if you're a fan, I would say something along the lines of thank you for your support. And, you know, you just kind of get going that way. but. Yeah, language barrier is tough, man. And I mean, Germany, I thank God there's a lot of English speakers in Germany right. because the German language is a very difficult one to to learn. So I didn't have much success there. But I mean, I've been pretty lucky. The spots that I've been placed, the people have been really nice, extremely friendly. Um, not at all what it was going to be, especially like in Romania. I mean, you hear horror stories, but... I mean, where I was, the places that we traveled to, the teams that we played, for the most part, everybody was really, really friendly, so. Well, what's the, I guess, getting ingrained into the culture of each area, like, you know, that's probably part of the adjustment, too. Did you kind of try, were you a little shy at first, try to just stay in the apartment or wherever you were living and not really um, try to get lost or try to get into any, you know, accidentally get into any trouble going to the wrong spot? Like, what was that like as far as getting yourself, you know, acclimated to the lifestyle of of each area? Um, it was tough, you know, like you mentioned at first, like I just, 
like I said, you hear the horror stories. <laughs> I didn't want to leave the apartment for a while, but I mean, for for the most part, the teams that you play on, they have two or three guys who are actually from that city. So once your teammates start showing you around, you start getting a little bit more comfortable. Uh, especially like obviously most cities have like a downtown area where you could you know eat, uh, go out to shop, do things like that. So once you get kind of acclimated with the city's downtown area, you start to venture out a little bit and you start to learn more about their culture and about like their historical monuments and stuff like that. So that's that's been pretty exciting. Um, and then this past year, because Germany is like more in the middle of Europe, I was able to actually travel and go see Barcelona. Hmm. Uh, my girlfriend came up and we got to go see Barcelona for the two weeks I had off after Christmas. So, I mean, it's a great time to be able to go into different countries, see, you know, do the whole like touristic thing where you're in awe of all their monuments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you don't really recognize how, you know, grateful you are to be in that position. Cause I know a lot of people when I come back and I tell them, they're just like, man, I, I've always wanted to do something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Uh, obviously you have to be careful. You never know what's out there. There's, there's evil everywhere, unfortunately, but uh, you know, I've been pretty lucky that where I've been, I've been able to acclimate myself with the um, with the culture, and I think the people who are there who see me looking around, they they appreciate it as well. So it's been a cool thing for sure. What's the life of a professional athlete like as far as the training, the practices, the games, the travel, all that? I mean, you know, I imagine it's you can find similarities in the four years you spent here, but yeah. what I mean, what's it like? How different is it? Um, I think just there are slight differences. Basketball is basketball wherever you go. Uh, I mentioned the language bar barrier earlier. On the floor, when we're on the court, the communication is in, in, in English, and that's right. wherever I've played. And that's simply because, you know, you got some Americans, some Canadians who are on your team. Those guys who are from, I mean, the countries that I've played in, uh, they understand that too. Like, we have to incorporate those guys into our system, so they that's their adjustment to us, is that they sacrifice whatever it is to speak English uh, in order for us to have good communication on the floor. Um, specifically in Europe, typically you'd have two practices a day where the morning would be like a shooting and a weightlifting session and the afternoon would be like live, five on five. Um, the team I was just on in Germany kind of did it a different way where they had one big practice where it was weights, shooting, team play everything was involved in like a three and a half hour span wow. so that was actually kind of taxing and I asked my coach like why he did it and he just said that's how they did it with us so that's how I'm doing it with you so I was like all right cool like let's do it that way but there's just slight differences in like their beliefs basketball wise compared to like what we believe here um but for the most part I mean systems it is what it is like there's only so much you could do with one basketball right so it's the same pick and roll activities, swinging the ball, mm -hmm. trying to catch and shoot, try to attack the defense when they're at a disadvantage, and you know, all that stuff is the same for the most part. That's one thing I'm curious about, and to get your perspective on, because um, I think for the last three years of your career, you guys pretty much played a pro-style offense. Yeah. You know, the principles were all pro-style stuff yeah. um, here at Creighton. Now, did that make it easier for you to jump into like a system like I mean is it that much different in Europe I know European style is different than American style but and vice versa but was it was it did, did the three years that you guys implemented pro style principles here at Creighton help you to just jump right in and not really have your head spinning yeah we ran some pretty advanced stuff while I was here so 
like that did a lot that did wonders for my understanding of the game obviously and then being able to move over there and adjusting to how they play I mean I know some people are going to say I'm lying here but for the most part Europeans waste like 16 seconds at the shot clock and then they get their best high pick and roll player to come back up get the ball and play a high ball screen so uh, what we were doing here my sophomore junior senior year we were playing pretty much four out one in except for my senior year we were kind of like five out and then Doug had the option to come in, get inside yeah that five out was pretty unique yeah with uh, <laughs> Ethan being our stretch five <laughs> shout out to Rocky Bombs all over the world but um what we did was you know we we used our IQ at that point we had played together for three years for the most part because Grant yeah Grant retired in my freshman year mm -hmm. and it was me Austin Ethan Doug and Grant we knew each other so well that we, we read our, each other's slips, our fake screens, our dive to the rims. Uh, we moved the ball really well, and then we had an All-American in Doug who could kind of be the glue for everything else. When something didn't work, we could always just trust him to get us a pretty decent shot. So um, being able to spread the floor out, being able to use your basketball IQ, not every play will be the same. Um, that helped me tremendously because in Europe now, I'm able to just kind of sometimes go away from the play, but because of what I see on the floor, it works out for me. So I'll just read and react, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, read and react, and you know, if things go wrong at the end, your best high pick and roll player is gonna come back and get the ball anyway, so it's good. Uh, they love their stretch fours over there, so it's a lot of four out, one in stuff. Um, their bigs foul hard, <laughs> I can oh, really? tell you that much. Yeah, <laughs> there is no easy layup, like that is not a joke. And then, I mean, I watch a lot of NBA when I'm over there, or at least I try to when I'm able to stay up that late because of the time difference. Uh, the referees in Europe are, I'm going to try and say this in the nicest way possible because I know people I don't think complain. they're going to catch on to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> people, are, people complain all the time about the travels and the lack of rules in the NBA, right? Like people carrying the ball or discontinuing or doing dribble, right? Yeah. I think Coach Horberg mentioned that about Isaiah Thomas in their... Chicago Celtics uh, series so um, like the rest over there they are really big on the purity of the game really so even shuffling your feet on a catch will be called a travel immediately discontinuing your dribble is going to be a carry immediately uh, even a spin move they've gone as far as calling pretty much every spin move a travel really? even if you're 110% sure as a player even if it's the one two pivot down. yeah, yeah. Oh. So uh, they're just a lot more pure with the rules, I would say. So, I mean, if people are really big fans and they have a chance to watch like EuroLeague action, like that's about as pure as basketball gets. Those mm -hmm. are all borderline NBA guys who are over there making a great salary. Um, in fact, Milos Teodosic, who's the new Clippers point guard, he came from Moscow where he was probably making like two to three million a year or whatever but now this is his shot to be an NBA as a 32 year old rookie yeah and I think he's going to do really well just because his IQ of the game is so high so I would say the major difference between college and NBA compared to Europe is just the referees really pay attention to the little subtle moves that gives an offensive player an advantage now what's the uh, competition like in this regard you've got a lot of guys over there who want to be in the NBA. They they still have aspirations of being in the National Basketball Association. They feel like 
if they can go over to Europe, develop, catch some, you know, catch a scout, get in front of the right people, that yeah. that opens up that opportunity for them. Especially with summer league going on now, a lot of guys catch on there. Yeah. What a does that almost enhance the competition over there because guys are really trying to use that as a stepping stone and make sure that they put their best effort out on the floor every night? Yeah, I think there isn't, it doesn't matter what level that a player is at, they always think they have a shot to make it to the NBA. Sure. <laughs> and I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I feel like I'm going to play at least one game in the NBA at some point. Like, I'm going to get one shot, but, you know, it, it's tough. There's only, what is it, like 450 jobs in the NBA, something like that. So it's tough, obviously. There's there's a big spillover with the number of players and the amount of uh, spots available in the NBA. So those guys all end up playing some high-quality ball in Europe for the most part. Like, I mean, in Germany alone, I mean, I'm sure some of these names will sound familiar to people. Taylor Braun, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Babb, Darius Miller just signed a two-year contract with the Pelicans again. Right. Those guys were in Germany and they were playing really well. And, and you can tell, like, you could see, like, as they're focusing for games, like, what their end goal is, the way that they play, their approach to the game. Uh, it's different than the European players who believe that they're just going to stay up there. So, uh, it's... It's exciting to see, it's exciting to be a part of, and it's also a, a learning uh, moment for me when I see the way that those guys play and how hungry they are to make it back. Uh, I think Chris Babb had a cup of tea with the Celtics. He's trying to get back to the NBA at some point. Taylor Braun had a shot out of, it might have been North Dakota or South Dakota State. Uh, Darius Miller, obviously, he was at Kentucky uh, on those John Wall teams, those Anthony Davis teams, those great teams that right. made it deep in the tournament never really got his NBA shot and he finally has a chance this upcoming year so the guys are hungry to to come back and hopefully play in the states and I just think it's a neat avenue for people who believe like oh I didn't make it to the NBA now what well there is a now what there's a chance to go overseas prove yourself again you know Malcolm Delaney Atlanta Hawks it took him eight years the list is long right yeah. it took him eight years after Virginia Tech to finally get that deal with the Atlanta Hawks so I just think patience, obviously, is big. Your work ethic is big. Um, and, you know, basketball is, is a karma-related sport. I always call it that. You, put, you get out of it what you put in, okay. much like anything in life. So guys put in the work. There's going to be the right eyes that are going to watch you, and hopefully you have a chance to come back. But if you don't, there's still some great competition overseas for you to play against. What's the, uh, I guess, with the way the NBA is going now with kind of two-way contracts I mean you see you guys that there's more it looks like there's more emphasis put on development in the G League and things like that you formerly the D League and yeah. you know signing guys to deals where they can play in the G League and then also have open opportunities to spend maybe a couple of months with the you know the pro affiliate mm-hmm. things like that is that an avenue you are looking down right now or do you still see overseas is your next option I mean do you think would you want to spend time in the states you know it's playing funny. for like a Des Moines team or something it's like hilarious that? that you mentioned that because my agent and I literally spoke about this oh, really? on Saturday yeah and we were just bouncing around ideas and you know we're at the process now where it's about to be mid-July and it's about time for you to just really start looking at teams that have interest in you 
So I just asked them shit. I'm just like, so what do you think about the D League? Like, or I guess G League now. Yeah, we rebranded it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what do you think about the G League? And he's just like, hey, like, I have no problem against it. Obviously, the main thing is your playing time, right? And, you know, where can you go from there? Right. Um, Some guys have done it and it's worked. And some guys have spent years in it and it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Much like some guys have gone the European route and it's worked and they're on their way back and I just really think that like I said if you're good enough people will see you no matter where you are you could be overseas you could stay here my thing with the G League for me personally I would love to just especially imagine if I played in Des Moines I think that'd be awesome yeah yeah I'm I'm a couple hours away from my friends you know the people that I I know and love up here I'm sure I'd have people who would travel down and watch my games every once in a while it would be awesome to just be closer to home and, you know, not spend necessarily nine months abroad. So that that would be my take on it. But as far as the competition and stuff like that, I could show you five or six different countries in Europe that where the competition level is just as high. Like uh, one of my good friends growing up, Melvin Ejim, who played at yeah. Iowa State, he had a cup of tea with the hey, Orlando Magic. Him too, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. did um, before moving here. And joining the real great Canadian. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> love you, Mel. If you ever hear this, but uh, he just won uh, the first league in Italy and got MVP for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. I don't know what his looks are as far as the NBA is concerned. But I know right now there are at least ten, twelve high quality European teams that are probably you know drooling over him, hoping to get his services for next year. Or so. Like I said, the, the NBA is the end goal for a lot of guys, but there are great opportunities over there. You mentioned uh, how long some guys put in it, or basketball being a current game, you get out what you put in type of deal. Mm-hmm. How long do you want to try? I mean, obviously, with a Creighton degree, your opportunities aren't limited just to athletics. Yeah. Have you, when you jumped into this situation, knowing that you're, you know, you, you're not going to be around your mom, your brother, your family, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned your girlfriend, things like that. That's got to be tough to say. It's got to be tough to decide every year. Look, I'm gonna spend nine, ten yeah. months working on basketball away from people that I love and care about. I mean, have you thought about how much time you're? I mean, have you set a bar to say if I'm not at this point by this point, I'm gonna try. I'll you know I'll retire. As far as I know right now, I'm good to go for a while. I always said that. One of two things will happen. I'll get injured or I'll stop loving it. Mm-hmm. Once one of those two things happen, I'm most likely going to call it. But, I mean, for right now, I'm in good health. Um, I mean, knock on wood, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I think my family, I mean, I, I talk to them every day. They understand. I have, two, I have two older brothers who basketball was their dream, too, before they decided to call it quits. My sister, she's been my biggest fan since... Uh, since I was a young kid, so she understands for sure, and my girlfriend here and my friends here, they understand as well that, you know, this is still a passion of mine. Um, I mean, I wouldn't come back to Omaha and work as hard as I do if I didn't love it, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I still love it. I still see it as an avenue for me not only to have fun, but to travel the world, make a little bit of money, and then you know, I kind of have the teacher schedule where I have the summers off if I wanted to, so that's not a bad gig either. Um, the pay's probably a little bit better for you than it is for teachers, unfortunately. Yeah, or just a little bit, yeah. slightly. <laughs> <laughs> no but, offense uh, to basketball players around yeah. the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, I still love it. It's still, 
you know, it gets me going to wake up on game day, like thinking about what could happen, you know, to get the butterflies in your stomach right before your name is announced for starting lineups and stuff like that. Like that's still very exciting. So um, as long as I keep enjoying it, I think I'm going to keep playing. That's, I want to just switch gears a little bit to Creighton. First, I want to start off with your Creighton career before we kind of transition into what you think of the current iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, your 13-14 team, your senior year team, is probably one that is going to um, trigger a lot of fond memories for Creighton fans, old and young. I mean, they, they think very highly of that group, not just because of how successful you were on the basketball floor, but also because of the transition into the Big East. Um, the way you guys carried yourselves, the way you guys kind of embraced the community, mm-hmm. the way you guys kind of built the, this current culture that, um, that is around now. What do you think of when you think about that team, and how often do you think about that? I mean, I know it's just one year of your basketball life, and, but I mean, it seems like you guys formed um, a bond that, you know, especially with you, Grant, Doug, Ethan, you know, the seniors on that team, that you guys formed a bond that's almost like family it i mean you guys put that out i'm not yeah. sure how how that is below the surface but it's, what do you how, what are your memories when you think of that group that you said it right there it's family like there was no bs about that part that's really how we we looked at each other and uh i forgot who i was talking to the other day and they were asking me if i still stay in touch with those guys yeah it's easy to stay in touch with those guys they were like brothers to me for Four years we were together, day in, day out, you know, going through the trenches, practicing hard, working hard, reaping the benefits of our hard work on game day. Uh, and then obviously we hang out off the floor too. So those guys, like that's legit family to me. I mean, I would say, I would assume they would feel the same way. And if they didn't, we'd have a problem most likely. <laughs> no, but like, man, that year, I think about it a lot and it comes at random sometimes I'll just be sitting there playing video games after like a long day of practice and then they'll just a moment will come like remember when Rocky hit nine threes against Nova and then I'll just go back on YouTube watch white and blue and just see the bombs go up like what was it like being in that game I mean it was surreal that's a different kind of unconscious (laughs) like Rocky's gone five six before and he's hot yeah that was a different level of... I, I mean, remember... The whole team was ridiculous. They, I remember day one to tip, we got a stop. We didn't even get a chance because, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows by now, Coach Mack likes to draw out his first two, three plays. Austin dribbled the ball over half and swung it to Ethan, and I'm pretty sure he was supposed to swing it to Grant on the other side, and he just let one fly and cashed it. One of those, like, oh, wait, yeah. oh, it's And then I was way. like, oh, okay. Next possession, we get another stop. Same kind of situation. I think this time we actually got through our first play, and Ethan came open after a flare screen of some sign. He just turned and let it fly again. Splashed it. So I was like, okay, we're having one of those? All right. So we get, a, we get another <laughs> stop. Like open shooting. Yeah, that's practice. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We get another stop. The ball gets swung to me, and I just let it fly, and it goes in. So I was like, all right, we're having and, one of those games. And you guys were at the yeah. Wells Fargo, so you yeah. had the NBA 3 line. Yeah. A lot of you guys were stopping and popping there on purpose, I think. Yeah, like, I, like, well, I don't know if it was on purpose or how it just happened. Your first one was behind the NBA yeah, line. organically like right that. Right from Jay Wright. And now it's just like, all right. And then, like, they might have scored. So I guess it's 9-2 at that point. Very next session, Ethan pops a deep one. Right. 
And I was like, okay, one of those, I guess, you know? So, uh, yeah, sorry, that, phone's going up yeah, and up. sorry, sorry, you guys, we're gonna <laughs> let that ride for a little bit, I guess, before I continue with this story. Bailey left his phone in here and yeah. he's out working with the guys. There we go. Um, yeah, so I was just like, all right, well, I guess we're having one of those. And then he hit another one before the media timeout, so I think we went in there 15 or 18 to 2, whatever it was, 18 to 4. And then after that, it just kind of got ridiculous. It got out of hand. It did. And uh, it was almost surreal. It was like every shot we threw up, Ethan or not, was going to go in. I think 1 through 15 scored in that game. Uh, the walk-ons that we put at the end included. Uh, Jeff Grossell was a young guy at the time, and, and he got a couple of buckets late in the game. So, And then... Having lost to Providence a couple of nights before that. That's right, man. You guys came in. Yeah, doing what we did to Nova, them being the number four seed in the nation at the time. I, I mean, I felt like we were well-respected during my time here, but that game put us on a whole other level. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, when you look back on it, it, it's kind of amazing that, you know, I was part of that group that did that. But, man, during that time, it was surreal, like... I don't even know how to explain it. It's just everything that we touched was gold that night. And it just felt awesome to be in that groove. And then we did it again to him a couple of weeks later at Century Links. So. With, like, the with the rim runs. Yeah. Like they were like, don't let Ethan go off again. Right. And you guys would just have a freeway to the hoop. And there's that uh, one that Fox Sports 1 has, their camera from above, that mm. saw the whole oh Nova defense collapse to Doug. That was the most hilarious that, basketball player. There's like five guys with two feet in the paint there's so as much the ball's space being for all skipped out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's four guys up in a room. I'll never forget like screenshots like that. It's, man, that group, it was an awesome group. And we, what I love the most about it, and it's very rare that it happens, that what happened in between the lines stayed there. Mm-hmm. I can yell at Ethan, I can yell at Grant, I can yell at Doug, I can yell at Austin and know that once we get back into the locker room there's not going to be any carryover so as far as I mean you talk about a group that was easy to lead that was that group I think uh, captains that year were us four seniors mm-hmm. and uh, Grant and I were more of the vocal guys, Ethan and Doug kind of led by example so it was just a great balance where you know if I was wrong and they let me know about it it was no hard feelings because we know what the prize is and that's very difficult to find in high school in college in the pro ranks it's very difficult to find a group where you can get after them on the court and it just stays there as soon as we get back in locker room we're joking around like nothing happened so it was just an awesome group to be a part of one of the other things I'm curious about I'm sure I have just two more on your senior year uh, that I think might be memorable for you um Senior night, the whiteout against Providence. Yeah. I mean, you a one-on-one battle with Bryce Cotton. It went well in the first half, not so well in the second <laughs> half. But, I mean, watching Doug chase history in live, real time, like, yeah. it felt like it was a long shot for him to get 3,000 in Omaha. And everybody kind of understood he's close. Mm-hmm. But if they want to see it, they're probably going to have to travel to New York to see yeah. it. Because it's, it's you know, he has it's he's, he's, he's get 35 points against Providence. It's yeah. no joke. Let alone 45. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, I mean, what was that night like going into that game, knowing that Doug's on the brink of history, but also it's a game that's important because Providence is good. They've beaten you out there pretty soundly. This is going to sound kind of absurd. None of those storylines were going through my head. (laughs) Really? No. 
because I had to defend Bryce Cotton. <laughs> so for you, it was so all for, like, yeah, for okay. me. I mean, I mean, I remember that day like it was yesterday too. I was after a shoot around because obviously my mom was in town for senior night. Mm-hmm. Um, after shoot around, I went and hung out with her at the hotel, which is something I I never do that after shoot around. I usually go back to the dorms, take a nap, and get ready for the game. You know, after I wake up for from a nap, I take a shower, I wake myself up, and I'm headed to CenturyLink, getting ready to warm up. So that's that's my usual game day routine. So the fact that I spent those two and a half ish hours with my mom, that was kind of out of the ordinary. But I was just so appreciative, obviously, of her sacrifice for what she had to do. The way she raised me, that brought me to this point where she can enjoy my last game as a Crane Blue Jay in Omaha. I was just so appreciative of her coming down. Obviously, I knew she wouldn't miss it for the world, but I just wanted to spend all that time with her. And then in the back of my mind is this little dude named Bryce Conn that I got to chase around for a while. And man, he well, if not for Doug McDermott having a historic season, he's probably the best player yeah, in the Big East in that the Big year. East that year, hands down, I would say. Man, he did everything for that team. But uh, those were the two things that were on my mind that day. Like, I didn't even really think about Doug reaching 3,000. I mean, obviously, uh, you speak to some of the former players, and they're like, your senior night is one of those nights you're going to remember forever. I-, I wasn't even thinking about it like that. I was just happy to be with my mom. Mm-hmm. So the game That's rolls around. That's pretty rare around. for you, I mean. Yeah. yeah. The game rolls around. And again, I don't even think too much of it. I just think Doug's getting off to a hot start. Like, we've seen that before. Right. Right? The first time I, like, witnessed witness it was sophomore year against Bradley. Yep. I think he torched him for, like, 43 or 44 or something like that. I don't remember what it actually was. But, like, when Doug is hot, Doug, Doug is hot. And you just set screens for him, and then you get out the way after that. <laughs> and it was one of those run nights. run out on defense. Yeah, yeah. One of those nights again. And I think he might have missed a couple easy ones early. Yep. And then he settled in and started making some shots. And then, like I said, Doug being hot opens up the floor for everybody, and then everybody started making shots. Um, so it was kind of crazy because you put up a pretty big lead yeah. at halftime. So the second half, everybody was focused on Doug's countdown almost, like fam-wise. I'm not talking about yeah, player-wise. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Because it, so, it felt like the game was comfortable that it was going to take an extraordinary I love, I love hearing stuff like that from that perspective because as a player, you, you never really think of it like that. And... It wasn't until later, when we were in the locker room after we won and did the whole CNI stuff, that like I realized Doug was actually conscious of that, and that's what he wanted to do. Oh, that really? Was, that was his little give back to the fans. I'm not sure if he'll, he's ever said it or if he'll ever admit it, no. but I mean, I could tell like after the game, because he was so happy to have been able to do that, to in do Omaha. it in Omaha. And I, I think, too, he told me after the game that he wanted to be... Because you know how they said, and now from Ames, Iowa, number three, Doug McDermott. I think he wanted to it to say from Omaha, Nebraska, and have the fans kind of have their cheer. Really? Uh, That's an interesting from that point. And it just, I guess it never got relayed to the announcer, and it just didn't work out that way. But it's okay. I, I mean, you don't have to. Doug knows how appreciative he is of the people of Omaha and stuff mm-hmm. and, and the Crane community for supporting him the way that everyone has over the years. So. I, I mean, to go back to your question, I, I wasn't really thinking about Doug's record and being a part of that, but as you know, it was happening... Okay, did you know when he comes in and he hits that bird, did you know that was for three? Because you're in the background yeah. of that photo that's famous. Yeah, pointing up three, the three. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, did you know what he was shooting for when he let that one go? I 
we had a media timeout before that, and as I was walking back on defense, I saw in our student section someone had that sign mm-hmm. with the countdown on that sign. So you saw he had three left. And I yeah. saw he had three left, and I was like, what? And my math isn't the greatest by any means. But I was like, wait, like, is that for real? And I kind of looked up, and he might have had, like, what, like, 32 Because he needed 35 to get it. Okay. He had 32 at that point, so I was just like, damn, he's already in his 30s, and people, like, still want more? <laughs> sure, why not? So it just ha- kind of happened organically. I'm not sure we ran a play for him. I think it was just part of our fast break motion where the defense kind of sags off a bit. Austin might have had a flip back pass. And Doug just cut it and let it fly <laughs> straight down the middle. And I was like, man, like this is big. And then the roar of the, the crowd. Crowds. I mean, I knew it then. But the whole day, I, I really wasn't even thinking yeah. about it. But in that moment, you know, it was awesome just to be on the floor. Uh, to see all that happening and then they go down and I forgot who hit a three but our crowd was still rolling, roaring and then Coach Mack finally calls a timeout to acknowledge it to acknowledge it and it was just surreal to be a part of that you know to give him a hug for him telling all the guys how much he loves them in that timeout I mean I think one through 15 20 however we were and then plus the coaching staff on the bench everyone got a chance to give him a hug and you know to acknowledge the moment with him so I thought it was a pretty sweet deal and it takes a team being this close to really appreciate a moment like that you know Mm -hmm. and I'm just happy I was a part of it so two things that were or one thing that was really unique about that night was and you've been a part of some senior nights just as a you know a teammate Mm -hmm. that place was full to capacity (laughs) during the senior speeches and that's something I haven't seen before I haven't seen since and I've been going to senior nights since 93 Mm -hmm. 94 so I mean so even Kyle didn't have one like that no not even Tolliver not like that I mean you hear that cream fan (laughs) yeah baby So, oh, awesome so hear. your last moment at the at the Century League Center was first of all you 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 know you're getting subbed out and you get your last ovation, yeah. kiss the floor, you know you embrace Coach Mack, and then you know your senior speech. You watch your highlights with your mom. The place is full of white because it was a whiteout night. Yeah. I mean to the rafters. What? How did you keep that together? Because that had to be a majorly emotional moment for yeah. you, knowing that you're. You're saying goodbye to that place for, you know, for the last time. It was a good thing I practiced my speech at least once before that night. (laughs) I practiced it the Friday night right before that game. So I I had a long list. And unfortunately, I missed some of the people that I wanted to thank, too. And I got a chance to say that to them after the game. I I called a few people just to tell them that I, I missed. I missed my AU coach. I missed some of my tutors that helped me out tremendously during my time here, um, during my speech, I mean, so it was just, it was a great moment, man, to look up and to see that many people, and they're hanging on to every word that you're saying. They're uh, still roaring like Yeah, they're still going roaring on. like crazy. I, I thank my mom, and people went nuts, and she ended up being on the big scoreboard, and uh, she enjoyed her time. I mean, it was just a big thank you, a big thank you to everyone who had supported us for the four years, because it wasn't always pretty, and I mean, we, we were a really good group, but, you know, there was sometimes that we went on two, three game losing streaks, and, and people still hung in there with us, and, uh, you know, like for me, like my infamous missed layups that came <laughs> at random times that 
I mean, I think you're forever forgiven for the game winner against yeah, Utah State. Yeah, you can miss as many as you want. I think, that. thank you, Lord, that I had that moment <laughs> at least to convince the people that you know Arch Madness wasn't a curse for me. I don't know why, but I I just never got it together except for that game in uh, St. Louis. I just always didn't play too well in St. Louis, but it was just a, a major thank you for the people who had supported us, obviously, who, who stuck by us, and then uh, just us trying to be as thankful as we possibly could be and just show it in a genuine fashion. Uh, so for all of them to stay by, and I, I get it, like the most of it is for Doug. I understand that part. But to be a part of that group, uh, to be there with my brothers right behind me, to be able to thank them and to actually like look at them and be serious for a second and be like, hey, Grant, Ethan, Doug, thank you guys for sticking with me uh, through these four years. Like I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It would have been an awesome time. Um, we won't talk about San Antonio, I promise. Um, God. So the last one, <laughs> the last, the last one about that year is New York. Obviously, this might be a little different for you growing up in Canada, but I mean, was bat was Madison Square Garden like yeah. the the gold standard for you? No matter what, it uh, doesn't as a basketball matter player? where you're from, everyone knows about the world's most famous arena, and so that's just, MSG. So just tell me about like when you first stepped on that floor. Going to that locker room, going through a practice there, playing a game, watching Doug go off a few times. I mean, all three times, really. I mean, that had to be, again, I know this year is probably filled up with a bunch of memories, but yeah. again, one that you probably will be hard to forget. Um, I, again, I didn't think too much about it at the time because we had played St. John's there earlier that year, so that was my big, like, <sighs> Totally. where I was just like in awe of everything that was in the place and we ended up losing to St. John's so mm -hmm. the second time we were there was against DePaul in the quarterfinals right it was DePaul that we played that year yep. yeah so um, I, like at that point I was focused yeah I, I was just focused on what we needed to get done you know we wanted to get as high as a seed as we possibly could we knew that winning the tournament was going to get us there uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen, but like as far as the whole like MSG, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm playing your thing, that actually happened earlier that year when we played St. John. So, I mean, I'm thankful for that game. Not happy that we lost, but I'm right. thankful for that game just to get that emotion out. It was a wild yeah. Big East tournament. It was. Game it was crowd. insane. Like it like Top to bottom. I mean, I've been able to watch it since being overseas. I think the one that I was a part of, obviously I'm very biased here, the one that I was a part of was a great tournament. Mm -hmm. From Seen Hall being Nova, the buzzer in the quarterfinals, and then losing the next day to Providence, who, you know, was still battling for their NCAA berth right. at the time. And then, obviously, Providence beating us. I mean, good for them, bad for us, but they were battling for a spot, and they were, like, on the bubble for the most part the entire year. So for them to get the automatic berth, we got a three seed. Nova, I think, might have still been a one or a two seed. Not sure. Mm -hmm. Uh... And then just to be a part of a conference that got five teams in, I believe, that year with, I might have been Xavier that played first four out or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that, that felt really good. And then to be able to go through March Madness that year and just kind of cheer for the people that you've been playing against all year, that's a pretty neat feeling. And, like, people wanted to be like, oh, we hate that team because we're in the same conference. Once conference is done and... Everybody is playing in the tournament. Unless we play that team again in the tournament, for the most part, we're fans of each other. So even Wichita State. No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Which, there, are, there are some. I want to make sure there was a barrier there. <laughs> I hated Wichita State. 
Kershaw said when they made it to the Final Four. <laughs> My God, I still talk about that. How I mean, it's, it's crazy you guys beat them the last two weeks yeah. of the season and they rolled to the Final Four. They rolled like no tomorrow. Gonzaga had no business being a number one nope. seed, and that's one of my best friends, Kelly Olenek, and congrats to him too for getting that, that deal with the Heat. One of my best friends was on that team, and I told him straight up, like, you guys had no business being a number one, <laughs> man. You guys barely squeaked. Was it Pitt? That, no, Wichita State played Pitt at the 9-8 and eight matchup, and uh, then whooped on Gonzaga. Maybe they played like Southern or something like that. Yeah. Like Their first they had, Yeah, they had no business, but either way, I mean, we're fans of each other once uh, like conference play is done except Wichita State. Right. Let me make sure I clarify that for all our Korean fans. I still, like, I see black and yellow and I cringe still. <laughs> so I, I can't be a Steelers fan. Once a Blue Jay, always a Blue Jay. Yeah, Jay. I can't That's be fun. a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. What are the other black and Max yellow? Max is a Steelers fan, though. I know he That's is. That's strange. Yeah, that's, let's talk about that. But <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm... Look, my I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan, right, so white right. and blue is in my blood forever. So no one's no one better ever doubt that. These colors don't run. Yeah. yeah, in fact, like even now when we play Nebraska, man, I stay up for that game. You get for jacked sure. up for that. You say I, you're yeah. blue state. You're do like you, yeah. Do you see me? Yes, I hope people constantly. see like oh my, my loyalty on yes, yes. my social media. I, I hype like up only the only one guy he tweets about. Like, yeah. if you guys beat a ranked team, you'll tweet it. Yeah. And if you beat Nebraska, you're all over the place. Oh, uh, Nebraska for sure, no matter the discrepancy. Because it's an in-state rivalry, man. That's yeah. what you kind of live for as a student athlete, to be a part of that. I mean, some rivalries, like, people don't really care. But this one, people care a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's very... It's fun to be a part of, obviously. And then you just want to be able to have bragging rights for a year and that's all it's for it's four mm-hmm. years until the next time you play them but the fact that we've been them what is it six in a row now yeah it's hard to keep track yeah it's, a lot. it's yeah i'm not trying to boast but it's it's been quite a long time now so it, it's just great to i don't think you lost to them ever I can't oh, my freshman year your freshman year yeah you my okay. freshman year and we heard about it so that's why i'm very i boast i don't boast about many things but i do boast about us beating nebraska at times i love it um so were you uh Jumping off the couch or wherever you were sitting when Toby put yeah. the putback dunk to kind of see a, that was great. Toby Hagner dunking all over the Huskers. I, I loved it because obviously Toby is not a high flyer, <laughs> and I'll repeat that. I hope Toby hears this. You are not a high flyer. So <laughs> the two the two dunks that he had, and I think they came pretty much back to back. It was awesome, and I mean you could see the Nebraska faces get demoralized after the second one. He cleared out the arena, and as a uh, as a Blue Jay, that's what you want. So. The, the fans, so they cleared out the arena after Toby's, and then the one that the ones that were left in the arena booed after Davion. Yeah, I saw so, yeah. Davion's got a hell of a picture too. Yes, he I does. saw that. And it's in a wide yeah. open arena, like no one's that, there. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, but I mean, I, that, by the time Davion got his, I was already like jumping up and down, tweeting Blue State and like <laughs> posting back pictures of when we played Nebraska, and I, I love it, man. I. Why would you not want to come to a place like this where, like, even your former players are still excited about what's going on right now? Mm-hmm. So, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have been a part of this environment. And, uh, I mean, I said this before and it sounds hella cliche, but I would not have it any other way. I, no regrets whatsoever for, for even though you come, the decision. coaching change, all that, like, and that could have gone bad. Yeah. And I admit it, that could have gone bad as a 17, 18 year old coming from a different country. You sign your letter of intent, and on that Thursday, Saturday, on that Saturday, you find out your coach is leaving, and not from that coach, 
from another school that had recruited you previously. Oh my god. Trying to get a last look at you. That's how the game goes, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy I stuck it out. And, uh, I mean, D-Rock was the assistant coach that came up to recruit me. Um, and honestly, if he had decided to, to move, I probably would have made a, a change. But him staying, Coach Mack calling me, it just, like, confirmed everything that this is where I wanted to be. I, I had already come here on my visit. I met a lot of great people during my two and a half days that I was here. Uh, they had the program that I wanted. They have a great psychology program. Um, and that's what I wanted to get into from, and I knew that in high school and it just all worked out perfectly. So, I, I mean, it's been, it was a great run. Um, I want to jump into the current, uh, stage of Creighton basketball. Mm -hmm. Obviously, no offense. Um, Kyrie Thomas is probably an enhanced version of the <laughs> yeah. Canadian Red Bull. Um, yeah, a couple but... of inches taller. <laughs> His wingspan's a little longer. You got the fro going though, so I think you're trying to make sure you yeah. get like you at least look taller than yeah. him for now. I, um, hey, this keeps keeps getting me job overseas. So <laughs> I'm gonna try and keep the hair growing. They think I'm six four over there. Sounds sounds good. <laughs> whatever whatever you can pull off, it's probably worth a you know extra yeah. six figures in the it, contract. It's, oh, it's yeah. worth it if I could pull it off. It's worth it for sure. But yeah, Kyrie. First of all, I guess take me through the basketball side of what he has to do to prepare because you're you've been in that spot mm -hmm. before. Now, you talked about it a little bit earlier as far as the style of the game, um, and being you're in a unique position because not only are you on the wing using ball screens offensively, you're with your back to the basket on the other end of the floor. You're also navigating through yeah. most of that action. Yeah. So what's it like for a guy like him? For a guy like yourself? on the defensive end of the floor, having to kind of feel out ball screens right and left, having to navigate your way through that, having to defend good ball handlers, good scorers, good slashers, yeah. and not get, you know, eaten alive. Um, a lot of it, obviously, you know, reading scouting report. I remember my senior year, I mean, the assistant coaches were my best friends for the most part because I spent so much time in their offices just asking extra questions, you know, going through – other players' clips, looking at their tendencies. I remember when we had to prepare to play Allen Crabb my junior year. Like, that's when I realized, like, really the importance of a scouting report. And if you get it right, you could pretty much stop just about anyone if you just, you know, have the effort. You know, you obviously you need a little bit of luck. You need that great player to kind of be off that day, too. But um, scouting report is extremely important. So for Kyrie, who's that talented, who's that physically gifted, uh, and who's already shown to have a high defensive IQ. Uh, I mean, winning defensive player in Big East, it's, it's no, I mean, it's no, like, it's, it's no joking matter, and it's a very important award. It's one that I wish I won. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I'm stolen from it, but that's another <laughs> story for a different time. But when I saw that they awarded him with that, I texted him right away, like, sending my congratulations, because it just shows a lot of hard work, effort, hustle, doing the little things that help the team win. And now that he's got that as a sophomore, I mean, the sky's the limit for him as a junior and a senior for what he's able to do on the defensive side of the floor. Um, so a lot of it just has to do with scouting report preparation and film watching because he's got all the physical tools that you need to be a good defender. If he's able to just stay focused on the, the team and the man specifically that he's got to stop, Obviously, like he's already been doing a great job. He's only gonna get better from here. So, it's it's just awesome to see, uh, 
I remember the tide really turned for me defensively when I trust, started trusting my teammates more. I used to look over both shoulders when I hear, heard a ball screen was coming. Even if a teammate would say, you know, ball screen right, ball screen left, I'd still look over both shoulders because I was so scared of getting hit. Mm -hmm. Once I started trusting what they were saying, it's like, okay, I just got to push them to one side, you know? So um, that's where the tide turned for me. But, I mean, for Kyrie here, he has all of that. Yeah. Uh, and there's still things that he can do as far as, you know, maybe like poking the ball loose. He does a great job of that. Diving on the floor. He does all the hustle stuff. That's hashtag wingspan, right? Yeah, that that is insane how much ground I've seen him cover. And the subtle things that he does is what I really appreciate about him that might not actually get on the, uh, on the stat sheet. Like, obviously, you'll see the steals and the rebounds and stuff like that. But him bumping a guy or, you know... Um, jumping and help side and, and being in the right spots constantly is what I'm most impressed about because those are the things that help me become a better defensive player. So it's cool to see like what he's already learned at, at a young age. How what, what kind of sense do you get of maybe, probably is probably the right word to describe it, but I mean, when you see the way that Creighton has kind of branded your senior year and carried it over, I mean, Let It Fly is huge. Mm -hmm. All the things that you guys kind of made like you said, made famous with that Villanova shellacking. I mean, you guys kind of put it all on the map there that this yeah. is what Creighton basketball is about. It's really, that almost sells itself after that type of deal. What do you, I mean, as far as seeing the the program embrace it, what you guys were able to do in that style of play and continue it even after you're gone? Uh, it's big, man. I, I mean, you I don't want to, I, I know you don't want to, I know you're probably like, I don't want to take a lot of credit for it, but I mean, that was, I, it feels like the foundation was set with you guys. I, my group should take some credit for it. Um, I don't know. It's it's fun to be a part of it. That, that's mm. the only way I can describe it because... All right, so my first year playing in Romania, like, that was how that team heard of us. Oh, really? And, like, that's how they got in touch with me is because they recognized me as, like, coming from that game. And I had... 19 points was my career high, and that was that game, and I got deeply overshadowed with what Doug and Ethan were doing. <laughs> so it's like, they just understood that I was a good player that was playing in a system that, you know, I have individual skills too, but I'm willing to sacrifice my individual stats for the greater good of the team. I think that more so than, I mean, you, you mentioned the let it fly, the culture that we we built here, that being a part of the culture is what I'm most proud of individually. Like being a guy that put my ego to the side, accepted my role, understood who I was playing with. It wasn't like I was playing with bums. I was playing with great players. And I was playing with guys who also wanted to put their ego to the side for the greater good of the team. So like I said, it's rare to find that group. And I think that's what I'm most proud of when people talk about like, you know, what we did for the school. Because that shows the younger guys, you know, the guys who are coming up after us, like, all right, we all have our different paths in our lives. Not everyone's going to make it to the NBA. But in this collegiate environment, you need some guys to kind of step up and some guys to take a step back and play more of a role position. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud to say that I only averaged seven points a game, whatever it was, my whole career, knowing that we won as many games as we did. We made it to the tournament three times. We were two-time uh, 
Uh, sorry, we won the Missouri Valley Tournament twice. We won the regular season once. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful and happy to be a part of that group. And I'll tell anybody that, you know, my time here was no waste. Like, I have some Canadian friends back home who always say, like, dude, like, you were playing Division One. You played alongside one of the greatest players in Division One history. Like, why didn't you just shoot the ball more or do more on offense to get your shot? My shot is coming. And like I said before, like, it takes some guys some time to get there. But to be a part of that group, like, that, that's priceless to me. And that's what I take most pride of, like, the, the culture that we were able to set for real. And to be able to come back and people still appreciate it, that's big for me. I'm just noticing now that we're getting close to an hour, and there's no way this is probably going to be the last time you're on this podcast. <laughs> we could tackle so many more issues. Yeah. Just I, I got a lot of good stories. I, I kind of have to confirm with the guys, make sure they don't get mad at me for spilling some of the game. But we, have, <laughs> we did a lot more than basketball, obviously, and we, have, we, have some, we had a great time. We, we had some good, funny, funny stories in the locker room, traveling. I mean, we, we had a ball. And, well, yeah. Well, you and Grant and Duggar are around. Maybe we'll see if we can get the three of you on the podcast. Just talk yeah. all the memories. That might be a little tough because Grant likes his attention. So yeah, yeah. Well, he Grant, might, he Grant, might yeah, call yeah, it he all the, the whole show. <laughs> um, so we're gonna end it here with just a little. Uh, you guys, obviously, I don't know how much you look at the media guy, but in the media guy, you guys kind of have those those yearbook superlative questions. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna go in back in time and see how well you remember your Uh-oh. 2013 2014 team okay and just some of the weird things about them Here we um, go. we're gonna start off with an easy one I think it's an easy one it should be an easy one we'll see you're making this, me nervous now you know that right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. do this to everybody um, your uh, this person's favorite TV show was Bob's Burgers is that me yes yeah of course I always start off with the trick <laughs> question okay. Bob's Burgers, I, that's still my favorite TV show, but carry on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, favorite team, the Portland Trailblazers. Ooh, that might be Grant. Yes. Yeah. Favorite athlete, Jason Duffner. Golfer? Yes. Doug. Just because it's a golfer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is. It is, it is Doug, right? It is Doug, there yeah. It is. yeah. This person's unfortunate favorite team I don't know why this is possible. It's probably because of the person that played on it, but yeah. um, the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, this is weird. And these are my guys? These are your boys. The Brooklyn Not necessarily Nets. your seniors, but your teammates. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, Devin Brooks. No. No? Brooklyn Nets? Yeah. Oh, Darren Williams, that's Austin. That's Austin. Yeah, there it is. All right, I have a couple of favorite spots on campus. First... Uh, one, I can understand the, the next two players I don't get at all. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite spot on campus, Jesuit Gardens. <laughs> I want to say that's Avery. It is Avery. Okay. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carry on. Quickly. You know the story <laughs> one? Yeah, oh, no, no, there's no story okay, to that whatsoever. Right. Avery <laughs> loves Jesuit Gardens. Here we go. Very good. The next, these two players' favorite spot on campus is Brandeis. Willertino? No. But you're, no. you're of course not Willertino. Well can I put on a pound? <laughs> uh Brandeis. You've already said his name once already, I'll give you that hint. Senior year, huh? Is it Devin? Devin's one of them. And the other one is a shaggy haired white guy like Will Artino, but not Will Artino. Shaggy haired white guy like Will Artino, but not Will Artino. He redshirted this year. 
Why am I blanking on this? He's walking around with a little bit of a limp right now. Who is it? Toby. Toby? <laughs> why would Toby like Brandeis? Why, why would anybody like Brandeis as a favorite spot? Okay, that's all right. Okay. Damn, um, I missed one. Coach Mac's birthday. Oh, that's uh, Thanksgiving. There you go. Nice. Yeah. And the last one, this is my favorite one. I uh, I got dug on this like last year. Mm-hmm. Um, two players on this team, both from the same area, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, middle name Donald. Oh, Ethan, Isaiah. Nice. Yeah. You got that quick. Doug, yeah. Doug only got. I think I don't even think you got the. Fr- I think I had to give him the clues on all of them. Yeah. I'm nice, man. I, that was yeah, my you team. Know you, wow, you ran through that. Yeah. I think the only one you got wrong was Devin. Isaiah is like my best friend, so I wasn't going to miss Isaiah Donald Zierden right. for sure. And then I just had to figure it out. Okay, Isaiah is from Minnesota, so is Ethan. Mm-hmm. Ethan Donald Robbie. I knew that as well. And the Jesuit Gardens one I thought was going to stump you too, but it didn't. No, that's no, Avery man. all the way. That's hilarious. Avery, he, Avery, man, I have so many stories about Avery. For whatever reason, things that didn't correlate, correlate with Avery. Like, one day he walked in and he was just like, guys, like, I started, like, reading before going to bed, and now I'm shooting the ball better. So I think I'm just going to keep, like, we're like, Avery, there's no correlation with that. You didn't go in the gym, you didn't practice more. He's like, dude, like, I promise you, like, I started drinking lemonade, and now I'm sleeping much better than I was before. I was like, all right, sure, Avery, why not? He just, he loved to correlate things that had nothing to do with each other, but oh my that's God. my guy. That's why, that's that's like a weird place, and I'm sure Avery probably went up there and just sat and just looked at the scenery for a while, and it just relaxed them. Right before but he was, he right was before one of those, game, yeah. And he dunked on. It was one of those yep. weird, he was one of those weird guys that like little things like that got him back to normal and I could picture him just sitting on Jeff. that's why like I was like who is that deep that Jesuit Gardens is their favorite place and only Avery I could think of would be that deep and weird at the same time that uh, that'd be a great spot for him so that's awesome that's funny you aced that better yeah. than any athlete I've awesome. interviewed has done that let's like, go the greatest the Canadian Red Bull I appreciate the time it was good catching up this obviously isn't the last time because I feel like we're at an hour over an hour and we haven't touched the surface yet so Um, but I appreciate you sitting down thanks for the time absolutely Crane fans I love you guys man that's why I always come back enjoy the rest of your summer bud